Well, amen. Thank you, musicians, especially Nancy, uh, but all of our musicians. Uh, we appreciate you so much. Well, it's the 31st. July is winding down. It's the end of my birth month. It's that special month when I get all the uh, extravagant gifts and special food and extra attention, and it just goes on and on day by day. And actually, uh, my sister called two days after my birthday just to wish me a happy birthday. <laughs> and she said, I can't believe my little brother's that old. So, I mean, it was really encouraging. It was great. But we drifted into conversation about all the things everybody's talking about, politics and such. And she says, I guess I'm getting like mother, spending too much time in front of the television, getting all caught up in this and listening to too much of it. But I was amazed. My sister, who never watched anything political, never knew any, never had a clue about all that stuff over the years, all of a sudden was quoting this candidate and that candidate and this vice president and that one. And I was amazed at all that. But we, we got into this discussion uh, and contrasting the two candidates for president versus the two candidates for vice president and how different these two are from these two. It's really pretty remarkable if you look at it. I'm not, gonna get, I'm not endorsing anybody. We're not going to get political here. Just a, an observation. Uh, but both parties, through their respective systems, have gotten themselves in a position where they've got candidates about whom there's a good bit of controversy and embarrassment. And there's concern about character issues in the past and what might surface at any given moment in this day of Internet and, and recorded material. And, and, all. and then on the other hand, you've got... And that takes over a year to arrive at those two individuals, that long, drawn-out process you've seen so much of. And in just really, it almost seems like in a few hours, both parties select the number two slot, just, just out of nowhere, with very little discussion, and it's a, a surprise. Uh, here's this name uh, that nobody's voted for yet, and, and, and there they are. Both parties have chosen for vice president characters that are apparently above reproach, uh, rather remarkable individuals, uh, people whose doctrine, their political doctrine is consistent, whose faith experience is very strong. One of them, missionary in Honduras, and you can see film clips of him down there working with children in, in a third world country, and the other with an impeccable pro-life resume and, and all this stuff, and it's like, well, what's, what's the deal? Well, I think really this is what it kind of comes down to, and then we'll get away from politics very quickly. It comes down to both parties coming down to crunch time when they've got to go public with their team now, realize that they need to bring balance to their ticket and have someone who is above reproach and spotless because, ready, because character still matters. Character still matters. Integrity is really still an issue. It was a huge issue for the Apostle Paul and what he preached and wrote in the Bible and in his own personal life and how he conducted himself as a missionary preacher. And so he's writing to the Corinthians. Now, there are all kinds of churches in the world today. I'm not talking about denominations and doctrine. I'm talking about just personality and how they operate. Lots of different kinds of churches there always have been. There were in the first century. And Paul is ministering to a number of churches, uh, some of them like the Thessalonians 
and the Bereans, they keep their finger on the text and they're biblical people and they, they what does the Bible say and let's do that and let's apply it to our lives and, and they just get on with uh, their Christian faith experience. And then there's some churches that are high drama churches, always have been, a lot of controversy, a lot of discussion about everything and people upset and, and the Corinthian church was just a high drama church, good church. It's very clear from what Paul writes in his letters to them that he loved them dearly, started the church, writes back these profound letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians to them, and apparently at least one other letter that's not in the Bible. And he writes back because he cares about them, but they are high drama. And he writes back, uh, and the real issue might be, why should the church at Corinth listen to Paul? Well, he started the church for one reason, but why should they really listen to him? versus all the other inputs uh, in their lives. The question for you and me today is, why should we listen to the writings of the Apostle Paul or to the message of the Bible, to the Christian message, to the gospel? Why should that impact our lives? What validates that for us? What gives credibility about that for us? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where we left off last week, we're in verse 12 this morning. We're going to look at seven verses pretty quickly. And just so you'll know, the first one and the last one are the ones we want to mostly focus on. And we'll, we'll skim through the in-between part. But the main verse is the first one, and then the last one goes with it pretty strongly. But about this issue of character. Verse 12, he writes, For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in, in the world and especially toward you. That's how we've lived our lives. Now, you can take a lot of Paul's wording like that verse out of context and you begin to get this picture of this arrogant guy who's so impressed with himself that brags about how spiritual he is. But you and I have to be enough uh, in the New Testament to understand that's not the heart of the Apostle Paul at all. This is an incredibly humble man of great uh, character and integrity, humility. And so what he says, he's, he's not bragging. So when he talks about being pride, prideful or confident, it's not in, in that worldly, sinful kind of pride. It's just confidence that things are right, that things are what they're supposed to be. And he says, our proud confidence is this. This, this, is what we're, this is what we feel good about, our testimony. And he's able to write. And he's writing this whole letter on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if our doctrine of the Bible is true. And, but he, he writes out of his heart, and he says, folks, back there in Corinth, I want you to know, I feel good about a few things I want to share with you. And one of the things I feel good about is my conscience. My conscience is clear that when we were with you, and he's talking about he and his team, and he'll mention some of them in a minute, that when we were there, we lived out what we preached with integrity. The New American has it that in holiness and godly sincerity and by the grace of God, we conducted ourselves, those three things, in your presence the NIV has it a little differently. Integrity and godly sincerity. And so they bring in 
this word integrity. It's a huge word for all of Christendom, for all ages, but for the American church in the 21st century especially. Integrity. Integrity. Well, I went to my... I don't... All this computer stuff. I don't like a book. But I, I went to my iPad and looked up integrity. Just typed in the word and up came Wikipedia. No less a source than Wikipedia. Uh, Wikipedia defined integrity this way. The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles and moral uprightness. Now, I printed that out yesterday. On my, I've got a new printer at home that will print from an iPad on a signal. All oh, this is just amazing. Uh, in fact, any Mac tool in the building can type off of it with the mirror wishing to do so. The problem with my printers, uh, probably like some of yours, is once they get started, they have a hard time stopping. And they print not only what you want, but a, a lot of stuff before it and a lot of stuff after it and all those advertisements and all this other stuff. So my little printer started going like crazy and, and soon I had three pages of definitions of integrity. I said, well, as long as I've got them, I might as well look at them. And I started reading. through. I'm not going to read all of them. It would take all day. But some of them go like this. The dictionary definition found in vocabulary.com said integrity is having integrity means doing the right thing in a reliable way. It's a personality trait that we admire since it means a person has a moral compass that doesn't waver. It literally means having wholeness of character just as an integer, talking about numbers, or whole numbers uh, have no fractions. That's vocabulary.com. You might want to use that someday. Cambridge University defines integrity as the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. The Urban Dictionary, which is sort of a with it modern uh, dictionary, defines integrity as doing the right thing even when nobody's looking. Even when nobody's looking. Yourdictionary.com defines it as following of moral and ethical principles and doing the same as what you say. Doing the same as what you say. And they go on and on with all these definitions. Doing what's right, having a consistent compass, doing what you claim to be true, living it out in your life, doing when people are watching and not watching. That's integrity. And Paul says, well, I feel good about this. Our proud confidence, our righteous boast is this. When we were among you, our testimony lived out in your presence was consistent. It had integrity. We know it had doctrinal integrity. I mean, Paul is the author of a huge portion of the New Testament. He's the greatest of the, of the Bible writers. And, and we know it had doctrinal integrity, but his personal life backed up what he wrote and what he preached. He says, I feel good about that. There was godly sincerity. And we operated by the grace of God. And I say often, the Apostle Paul was saved by grace through faith, about which he wrote repeatedly, and especially in Ephesians. 
He was saved by grace, redeemed by grace, transformed by grace, sustained by grace. He's the all-time champion of the grace of God, and he never got over it, and he preached it and wrote about it till his dying day. And he says, Corinthians, when we were there in Corinth, and Corinth is a crazy, it's on, up on a high rise above what is now a canal. It used to be a land bridge that linked two harbors so that ships could take a shortcut and they dragged the bridges, uh, the, the boats across that land bridge over to the other side to avoid going out into the dangerous Mediterranean. It was an amazing place. All kind of sailors, all kind of religions, all kind of stuff going on. What a crazy metropolitan area in which to plant a church. And Paul did it and he taught them that we are saved by grace and you've got to live Having been saved by grace, you live by grace. And he says, that we did when we were among you. I uh, don't have any concerns about how we conducted ourselves, either in what we taught you, but in also in how we lived our lives. That's powerful. Now, could you say the same thing? I said in prayer meeting, there were about three people Wednesday night that had been to Corinth that were there. Uh, some more of you, perhaps, in this setting have been to Corinth. It's a remarkable place. It's almost non-existent now uh, in the, the old site, other than the ruins. And the, the, the ruins of Corinth are extensive that are there from where that city was. You may never visit Corinth. You certainly won't go to biblical Corinth. But in your world, wherever you do go, with whatever your social club is or your school group or your business location... Wherever you uh, cross paths with the people of the world, could you honestly say with the Apostle Paul, when I was there with you, I know that my testimony was solid, that I lived in holiness. I spoke in a way that glorified God. I didn't operate by worldly wisdom, and I was there by the grace of God, for the grace of God, sharing with you the grace of God. Could you honestly say that about your testimony, where you've been, where you are, and where you'll be in uh, about 30 minutes and beyond in the coming days, wherever the Lord might allow you to go. How consistent is your testimony? How much integrity is there to your personal life? How much integrity is there to our collective testimony as a church? I'm going to talk about Warren Wiersbe in a minute, but on the back of his, his book, he's got this question. Why should anyone listen to the church? Why should anybody listen to us? Why should anybody care what First Baptist Church of Dublin thinks about anything? Paul says it's all about integrity. Now he changes subject and he's going to ramble through some uh, things that we'll just look at quickly. He says, for we write nothing else to you than what we, you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end, just as you also partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud as you are also ours in the day of our Lord. Paul's saying to the Corinthians, the zany, sometimes carnal and sinful, uh, dramatic Corinthians, he's saying on judgment day before the Lord, I want to be identified with you. And I will say before the Lord, I love these people. And I trust that you'll say back, and I love you. And for all the sinful carnality that ran through the Corinthian church, they are uh, the, the true believers there on track toward total redemption in Christ. And he says on that day, we're going to be there and we're going to be excited about each of our presence being there in front of Jesus. 
Verse 15, he says, In this confidence I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. Two times, and it's going to be a blessing. Now, if, if you didn't know Paul, you'd think this guy's so full of himself and he's so proud of himself. Sounds like one of our politicians. But he's really saying, my, my aim was to come and minister there twice with the ultimate goal that by the grace of God you'd receive a blessing as a result of that mission trip. And verse 16, that is to pass your way and you've got to have a map and you've got to spend a lot of time trying to figure out what he's talking about here because it's kind of all over the place and don't worry about it too much. But he says, that is to pass your way into Macedonia, that's northern Greece, he's there in southern Greece in Achaia. And again, from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Paul's mentally all over the map. Verse 17, therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh so that with me there will be yes, yes and no, no at the same time? What is Paul talking about? What do you mean, Paul? That's, that's confusing. Uh, the NIV says, so that in the same breath I may say yes, yes, and no, no. Uh, he continues in the next verse. He says, but as God is faithful, our word to you is yes. It's not yes and no. It's not two things at the same time. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, greatest message ever, greatest public message ever, is preaching about all kinds of subjects, but he comes down to the subject of oaths and taking oaths, and he says, don't take oaths, don't get into all of that. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't uh, make, take a commitment in a courtroom. I'm not saying that, but just swearing up and down the street. He says, don't get into all that. Just let the integrity of your speech be real. He says, you should not make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair of your head white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no, and anything beyond these is of evil. So don't uh, try to embellish your testimony with oaths, meaning with oaths by the temple or anything else. Just let your yes be yes, and your clear no be no. Be consistent in your speech, Jesus taught, and Paul affirms here. And Paul says to the Corinthians, uh, God's faithful. We heard that musically earlier. And our word to you is not yes and no. We're not giving you two doctrines at the same time. We're not living two lifestyles at the same time. We have lived among you with integrity and our speech has integrity. Does your speech have integrity? When you talk to whoever you talk to, when you bear witness of your Christian testimony, is it consistent in what you do? And oh yes, in, in what you say. <clears throat> The children's song, be careful little ears what you hear. You and I need to be careful what we hear and give audience to and repeat. And we are cautioned repeatedly in scripture about the dangers of unrighteous speech. Paul says, no, we, we were consistent. And we lived out our testimony with integrity. Uh, we were not uh, inconsistent and we spoke with integrity. And our yeses were yeses and our noes were noes and it was not confusing. And everybody knew where we stood. Does everybody know where you stand? In your life, in your theology, in your core values, that's integrity. That's integrity. Uh, one of the great radio preachers of our time was uh, Warren Wiersbe. 
and back, he was the pastor of Moody Church up in Chicago, famous old church uh, in downtown Chicago. And he left that eventually to go to back to the Bible as the radio pastor. And uh, he's still on a, a number of t- times of, um, during the week on the Moody Network, at least. He wrote a lot of books and commentaries uh, that are all worthy of your time. Uh, but in 1988, he wrote The Integrity Crisis. Now, some of you are too young to have any clue about the mid-80s and what was going on. But when this book came out, we were fresh on the heels of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker and all and all Roberts and all the scandals that, and television had brought new dimensions to American Christianity and given us new and fresh and fresh and uh, creative ways to be scandalous. And all that was exploding on the American church at the time. And in that context, uh, Warren Wiersbe, and if ever there was a right guy to write a book about integrity, it was Warren Wiersbe, and Warren Wiersbe wrote this book. And I'm not going to read the book to you. I'm going to read the dust cover to you. Dust covers are uh, sometimes cool and helpful. And sometimes you can save yourself a lot of money by just going in the bookshop and reading the dust cover, and you get the gist of the whole thing, and you save yourself uh, maybe 20 bucks and a lot of time, and you get the heart of it. The dust cover, almost, it was really, a, a, every page is good in this one. It's a worthy book. Uh, but in this book, he uh, starts on the front of the dust cover, and I don't know if he wrote these words or, or Moody Press or whoever put this together uh, wrote these words for him, but it gives the, the title, The Integrity Crisis, and then underneath it says, A Blemished Church struggles with accountability, morality, and lifestyles of its leaders and laity. Struggling church. Well, that was almost 30 years ago, 20-something years ago, when he wrote those words, when that book was produced. And the church especially the American church, is still struggling with accountability and morality and lifestyle. Maybe even more so. And we're surrounded by a culture that, well, of course, it's not even struggling. It's given over to those things. But the church trying to be different in that context is struggling with those issues. And so that's the big introduction. That's the, the, the catch to get you to buy the book back in 88. And then you turn over to the back and it's got all these questions we're not going to read all those but there's that question why should anyone listen to the church when you express your opinion and no doubt you do at least to somebody and some of you express your opinions to anybody that'll listen and to a lot of people and some of us have uh, platforms from which to speak to a lot of people our opinions but the question comes back why should anybody listen to the church. You say, well, it's got the truth, it's got the Bible, but, but the world doesn't understand that. They just see what they see. And so the question's a strong question. Why should anybody listen to First Baptist Church, especially the preacher up there? Why should anybody listen to the stuff that goes out from there? What undergirds their message And then he goes through all these questions on the dust cover, and it comes down to the bottom, a description of the book. And it says, Warren Wiersbe points the way to a renewed church, a church that will once again have the right to be heard. 
That's, that's great. Man, I had, I've read this book several times. It's been on my shelf since 1988. Uh, and I've looked at the dust cover. I've never noticed that little line. That's powerful stuff. That's well stated. This book, the, the heart of this book, the ministry of Warren Wiersbe for sure, and ought to be the ministry of all of us for sure, is to point the way toward a renewed church where we'll have the right to be heard. When we're inconsistent and we don't have integrity, we have no right to be heard. And why should anybody listen to us? We say yes, yes, and live no, no, or vice versa. And there's not a consistency to what we believe, to what we say, and to what we do, how we apply it in our daily lives. And so this little book is pointing us toward a revived, renewed church that gets it. And beyond all the church drama says, we just want to keep our finger on the text and believe this book and apply this book to our lives so that we are unique, so that we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth that Jesus called us to be. That's spiritual integrity. Now, Paul's going to go on and we're going to pick up tonight right where we're leaving off. We'll overlap with that and come right back to it in the evening service. But Paul's writing this letter, and he's early on. It's, a long, it's 13 chapters, and he's still uh, wrapping up chapter 1. But he's saying, look, uh, what I'm telling you is real. And I want you to trust me because I have apostolic authority to write you. But he says, I want you to trust me because we have borne witness and validated our testimony by our core values lived out in your presence. And you and I need to do the same thing today. Yes, America does need a consistent Christian witness. It needs to come from the Lord's people, from the church, from the churches, from the Christians. And character does matter. And it's not just that character matters in general. Your character matters. Your character, your personality, your, your decisions, your values lived out may be the only testimony that somebody sees or sees much of. And so your witness, your person, your character does matter. It matters a lot. May we be able at the end of our days, and Paul's writing at the time he writes this, he's probably got eight or nine years left in his life. He's got a ways to go yet. But as he anticipates the end of his days, he's concerned that his life will have been a faithful testimony to the gospel of grace and the lordship of Christ and the focus and the guidance of the Holy Spirit about which he'll speak in tonight's passage. I want you to ask to ask you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Father, we're grateful this morning that we are redeemed, not because we're good enough, but because Jesus is good enough. Not because we've been clever enough and consistent enough, but because your gospel has reached out and touched our lives to bring transformation. And we know when we're honest before your word that character does matter. And so we plead with you today to shape us and change us and take out the things that don't belong and add in the things that are needed so that we'll be more and more like Jesus. 
so that we would be able to write back to our home church or to some mission field or to the people in our families that live in other places would be able to write and say, uh, we know we live Jesus in your presence. Lord, we will not do that instinctively. We'll not do that, as Paul said, in the wisdom of the flesh. We'll do that as you touch our lives and work supernaturally through us. And so we ask it. We ask for it. We ask you to bless us with that. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.